Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 110, The Chathamite System. In our last episode, we looked at the wider American theatre in 1757, covering Loudoun's failed invasion of Canada and the neutralisation of the threat posed to Pennsylvania by the Eastern Delawares. Today, I want to return to Europe, and specifically to William Pitt, as he created the Chathamite system. 1757, you'll recall, had not gone well for Britain in the European theatre. Prussia was under threat from all sides, the Austrians were advancing in the south, the Russians were looming on the Eastern Front, the Swedes had invaded Pomerania in the north, and then there was the threat of the French in the east. The French, you'll recall, had already knocked Hanover out of the war, and sent Cumberland back to London with his tail between his legs. While it was a nightmare for the British from a military standpoint, it had benefits for Pitt politically. At the beginning of 1757, there had been four powerful individuals within British politics. There was Newcastle, the heir of Walpole, there was Cumberland, the royal war hero, there was Fox, the master of the commons, and then Pitt, the orator. Newcastle and Pitt had come into an uneasy alliance to reopen the government after it shut down for three months, with Pitt taking control of policy and Newcastle leading the administration. Fox had been shunned to the side in a well-paid role, and this left Cumberland, who was now humiliated by his defeat in Hanover. This left Pitt in an unopposed position. Even the king, who rather disliked Pitt for his relationship with the Leicester House faction, was now prepared to listen to him. Pitt had excellent support, bringing into government two gifted allies of Newcastle, Lord Anson as First Lord of the Admiralty, and Sir John Legioner as Head of the Army. This allowed Pitt to create his imperial system. You may see this system with several different names, which stems partly from how Pitt is remembered. Pitt the Elder is the more common name, but you will often see him named as the Earl of Chatham in British political history. His faction was known as the Chathamites, and his system is the Chathamite system. So, what was the Chathamite system? Well, fundamentally, it was the recognition that what Britain was doing wasn't working. The last five years had been a complete disaster. With a small dispute over a fort in the Ohio Valley, branching out into a war that already spanned the globe. Hanover was lost, the Prussians were surrounded, the western frontier in America had dissolved, and bad harvests in Canada were the only thing preventing the French force in the north marching straight down the Hudson into New York. The first step was to accurately assess Britain's strengths and weaknesses, and then see how they could best be used. The strength was the Royal Navy, the weakness was its small army both in America and in Europe. Pitt looked at these tools and thought he could use them to bring down the French Empire. 
Pitt wanted the Royal Navy to gain control over the Atlantic. This was a requirement for all other operations. If the Royal Navy had control over the Atlantic, the French would be unable to send reinforcements to Canada. The French army might be bigger in North America than that of the British, but the colonial population was smaller. The Americans outnumbered the Canadians, and if the British could form a working relationship with the Americans, they would win. Pitt was more ambitious than just wanting to win the American continent. This plan to strike at the colonies, the source of French wealth, was global in scale. Pitt planned to increase the assault on the North American landmass, sure, but he had similar plans for India, West Africa, and the Caribbean. This was one half of the plan. Control the Atlantic to cut off French reinforcements, and using the resulting dominance in the local theatres to strike at the colonies. The other half of the plan focused on Europe. Britain's limited manpower had to be focused on the navy and the colonies, and not a drop of British blood could be spent in Europe. You recall Pitt's fierce opposition to sending British forces to defend Hanover, but while he had opposed the subsidies, he now saw them as the only way to stay out of what he termed that Sea of Gaul, aka Germany. Prussia, therefore, had to be supported. If Prussia needed money, it would be sent money. Virtually limitless finance. This was essential. Prussia needed to keep France busy while Britain won the war in the colonies. This was quite similar to British plans over the last 50 years, financially supporting a power on the continent while they focused elsewhere, but the difference was the scale on which Pitt planned to act. This was World War. There were also plans to change the military on the home islands. It would not be necessary to defend Britain with the army. Instead, a militia could do the job. This saved money, and was very popular with MPs, who disliked the influence that a standing army could force upon their localities. This measure was critical in securing Pitt standing in the Commons. In addition, it freed up troops for a plan originally had by Frederick of Prussia in 1756, launching raids on the French coast of Normandy and Brittany. This would alarm the French and force them to detach some of their strength from the invasion of Prussia. This seemed like a very sensible decision to pit, ever lessening the risk of having to send a significant body of troops to the continent. As for actions in the Americas, it was all well and good for Pitt to say that all the British needed to do to win the war was to bring the American colonists directly into the conflict. But actually doing that would prove quite a bit tougher. Pitt looked at what had gone wrong in the campaigns of Braddock and Loudoun, and spoke to experts on the colonies before coming to the conclusion that the British were not meaningfully engaging with the Americans, but were instead needlessly antagonising them. 
Loudon's fiasco over quartering the troops was a perfect example. What needed to happen was that colonial policy needed to be reversed. This was exactly what Pitt proposed. Colonies would not be treated as subjects with forced conscription and bullying tactics, but instead as partners, allies. He would offer subsidies to assemblies that aided in the war effort. The next commander-in-chief would not have authority over the governors, as Braddock and Loudon had. Instead, things would revert to how they had been, with the governors reporting directly to the Secretary of State for the Southern Department, which, incidentally, was Pitt's position in the government. Pitt also scraped the policy of making provincial officers junior to regular officers. From now on, a provincial major would have equivalent status as a regular major. Pitt set about things with Augusto. He firstly instructed King George, in his position as Elector of Hanover, to repudiate the agreement Cumberland had made, a move which was technically illegal. One of Frederick's generals was made commander of the Hanoverian army, which was to be paid for by the British. This was viewed as an acceptable compromise for not having British troops in the German theatre, while the influence of Newcastle and Pitt working together was able to get this through the Commons. Frederick had a change in fortune on November the 5th, when he was victorious in the Battle of Rosbach against the French, where casualties were inflicted at a ratio of 10 to 1. The disaster for the French forced them to abandon Saxony, and later Hanover, while Frederick marched over 200 miles into Silesia, facing the Austrians on December 5th at Luthen. I'm not going to go into detail about the Battle of Luthen, well aware that I could easily spend half an episode on it, but it was a tactical masterpiece by Frederick, and established him as one of Europe's great generals. The Prussian force stood at around 30,000, and took on an Austrian army twice its size and devastated it. Fully one-third of the Austrian army was left dead, wounded, or captured, and the Austrians moved out of Silesia. This, the end of 1757, marks a real turning point in the war. It had taken several years of getting bloodied by the French, but the British seemed to have finally got their act together. Next time out, we'll look at Pitt's plans in North America, as the tide begins to turn. Thanks for listening, I'll see you then. (laughs) 